Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. 1M1M, as you know, is the first and only global virtual accelerator in the world. Our mission is to help a million entrepreneurs reach a million dollars and beyond in annual revenue. You have been listening to our podcast for a while, so if you are enjoying them and you like what we are doing, please review the podcasts on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. And also, do not forget to come visit us at the 1M1M Roundtables. We have these free mentoring sessions every Thursday morning. These are working sessions. Come and present your business and get feedback from uh, both guests as well as me in the uh, those working sessions. Today, we're going to be speaking with Julian Nugren of IT Farm. Julian, welcome. It's great to have you here. Hi, Shramana. Great to be here as well. Tell us about IT Farm. What is the focus of the firm? How big is your fund? What size investments do you make? Yes, uh, IT Farm is a seat level, you know, a VC firm. Uh, we started uh, in Tokyo, in Japan, and we have an office in Palo Alto here. Uh, but we ended up doing, you know, most, if not all, of our investments in the U.S. in Silicon Valley, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fund we are basically a 16 million dollar fund. Uh, yep. We are actually raising right now, uh, actually investing right now out of our fund number six. So we okay. have about, you know. Uh, roughly about 100 to 120 million dollar, you know, under management right now. And uh, the size investment that we do, we usually go in at the seat level, write a first check for 300k, and then we mm-hmm. reserve, you know, pretty much more than a million dollars for follow-on rounds. Yep. And what is the focus? Or what types of ventures do you like to invest in? What industry sector? B2B, B2C? What um, what types of businesses? Well, we have, uh, uh, for our first five funds, we have been a, I would say, a generalist VC, you know, investing in all types of software services, online, you know, products, etc. cetera. Uh, we have been pretty, uh, I would say, fortunate to have uh, three unicorns in our portfolio. But our, for our fund number six here, we have decided to focus it on digital health. So digital health, uh, would include, of course, B2B, B2C, and uh, our stage is always focused, as usual, on seat level and maybe Series A. So there's a lot of double-clicking we need to do here based on what you said. First and foremost, what are the three unicorns? <laughs> okay. The three unicorns are um, Wish, which is a shopping app directly from China to uh-huh. U.S. consumers. And uh, they just raised around uh, valuing them at $4 billion. We went into the seed round for, uh, for Wish. Uh, we also investors in early round in Tango, you know, the messaging app. Yep. Um, and also the last one is we were in the Series A of uh, Zoom video conferencing. And they yep. raised, okay. as you know, a $100 million for Sequoia Capital at a billion dollar valuation. Yeah. Right. Now, um, now you're focused on digital health, B2B, and B2C, um, and you are still focused on seed. How do you define seed for B2B, and how do you define seed for B2C in terms of metrics? For example, I'll give you uh, more clarity on exactly what is the question I'm asking. You know, a lot of companies, a lot of funds are um, 
categorically stating that they want, let's say it's a SaaS deal, they want to see a certain amount of monthly recurring revenue already achieved before they're willing to come in. So that could be 40,000, it could be 80,000, but there are specific metrics that they are putting forward as guidance from their fund. Do you have similar kind of benchmarks or metrics that you work with? Uh, no, we, we don't have, you know, I would say cookie cutter type of uh, metrics like that, right? So so the thing that we like is that we, we like to see a company, a young company, an idea that can solve a huge problem, a critical problem. And then after that, you know, we of course want to see that there is a credible path to get there, you know, and we understand that at the early stage, you may not even have a clear idea of a go-to-market, you know, you may not even have a clear idea of the team that you will have to have at the end to accomplish that vision, right? But we are much more flexible. So basically, you know, for us, number one thing is how critical, how big is the problem you want to solve? And number two, how good is the team? You know, can the team have the capability to really find a path, you know, to solve that problem? Because we know that, and you know that very well, you know, startups go through twists and turns, you know, all the time, right? So we mm -hmm. want, and the, the only constant there is the team. So that's, we put a very high premium on the quality of the team. So what trends do you see in your deal flow? What are interesting developments or interesting early areas in digital health that you see that you think are going to be big in the long yeah. run? Well, digital health is very exciting. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say too much about it. I don't want to have too much competition there. <laughs> but <laughs> one, Good point. One of the most, you know, I mean, it is an incredible, basically, virgin territory. You know, I, I feel like investing in, you know, chips, you know, 30 years ago, things like that, right? The, what we define as digital health is the use of technology to increase the effectiveness, efficacy, of healthcare, right? And you know very well that healthcare in the US is one of the most inefficient possible markets yes. to think of. Mm -hmm. In all dimensions, all dimensions, you know? So the trend that we see in digital health are following a few categories. Number one is, of course, uh, you know, the efficiency, right? Uh, just process, make it better, you know? Uh, yeah. Getting you paid, getting doctor pays better, decrease the cost. And we've seen a bunch of unicorns come out of that part of the oh, ecosystem. Yeah. There's Viva oh, and the CRM for uh, the uh, the healthcare industry. There is Athena Health on the payment side. There's the clinical work. And and frankly, that is just the beginning, right? There there there, there mm -hmm. are deeper deeper problems that can be solved. So that that's one part, you know, efficiency. The number two part that we see is very much using, you know, um, technology to increase the efficacy of current, you know, um, I would say practices for curing people, right? So that uh, you can, for example, uh, precision medicine is one of them, right? How to pick the right, mm -hmm. you know, cocktail of drugs for a cancer for that particular patient, depending on their RNA, you know, uh, measurement at that time, right? Uh, that That is something that we see a lot of promise. So, this is not inventing new drugs and finding new molecules. This is just applying the ones that we already have in a better way, right? And then you see a new area, which is, I would say, the blue sky thing, like uh, 
very you know exciting research on aging, etc. That everybody talks about, right? So I, I, yep. I don't have to go too long on that. But we feel that the first two areas already are really important. Will allow us to decrease the cost of healthcare and at the same time, you know, increase the efficacy of the healthcare that we have. So your your bias or your uh, preferred area is on the process side, not in new drug discovery, but more in the process and efficiency of the healthcare system. Yes, absolutely, because you know we, we feel that you know there are the molecules that people have spent you know tens of billions of dollars to, to develop, right? And yeah. um, right now they're being applied, you know, really badly, and just applying them better. Yeah, a, a world of difference. So, so basically, our startups digital health don't use a lot of money. You know, they are very much like software startups. They are very, very capital efficient. They are not the ones that need you know, 100 million bucks to bring a molecule through clinical trials. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk about your current portfolio. What have you invested in? Some, you know, Talk about some of the deals, specific deals that you've invested in. What is it that you've been attracted to and how do you decide sure. what you want to invest in and you know, things like that. Yeah. No, this is dangerous because you're asking me to talk about my kids, so you have to stop me, okay? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so uh, I'll just give you a quick example of three companies, right? One is called Those Doctor. This is a, um, a way for diabetics to have a very accurate measure of how much insulin they should inject themselves, right? As you know, mm-hmm. diabetics, you have to measure your glucose uh, several yes. times a day. And sure. every time after that, you have to dose an insulin injection. And right now, you use the same dose every time. Uh, with an app, a dose doctor, you put in the glucose you measure, and the app tells you exactly the dose you have to do. So this is completely like a real-time management of your insulin. The result is that they tried that on you know several hundred patients, and within four weeks, and those are like, I would say, dangerous, dangerously high glucose patients, right? And mm-hmm. within four weeks, more than 90% of them became normal. And their A1C fell below 7%, meaning that they are very much under control. You know? Mm-hmm. And you know that the one, one out-of-control diabetic costs an insurance company about $100,000 a year. So that, mm-hmm. that's, we're very excited about that one. Another one, and this goes to this category number two I mentioned to you before, you know. So just a second, Julia, before you move on, uh, on this one, is this, how, what is the go-to-market strategy for it? Is it going through the insurance company? Is it going directly to consumer? How do you go to market? Oh, okay. The, 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 go, the go-to-market is, is, is quite simple. Um, we basically want to go to people, we have first have to find who pays for this, right? Like every digital right. company. And, and then we talk about how we select companies, right? You have to find payers. Who's going to pay for this? Well, all the, for example, we talk about you know, large self-insured employers, right? They all have the problem of controlling the diabetics who are employees. And for them, they are very, very happy to pay even a few thousand dollars a month, uh, a year, I'm sorry, to those doctors to avoid a 100K bill per year from mm-hmm. those employees. So we see that basically insurance companies, starting with self-insured employers, are the best uh, place to go because they mm-hmm. realize, you know, savings, their ROI is obvious. You know, they, actually, yep. we never had to convince any, any payer 
these could be for them. So you go to market through the insurance companies. Great. Yeah. What was your second example? The second example is um, totally different now. It's about the process now for doctors. Uh, as you know, doc- doctors have a hard time collecting, you know, the co-pays from patients, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, um, more than $40 billion per year goes uncollected by, by doctors and clinics and hospitals. So we invested in the company called Collectly, which is a YC graduate. Uh, the first one also mm-hmm. came from YC. And they okay. apply a way to, a very soft way to collect, you know, um, unpaid bills. And their efficiency compared to, you know, collection agencies that collect really 20%, they can collect 50%. And, and even more important, they don't destroy the relation between the doctor and the patients, right? Because when, when you receive these um, letters you know, demanding payment, you don't really feel good about your doctor after that, you know? Mm-hmm. So they manage to do all of that, so they basically can collect more than double what can collect for doctors and clinics. So that's very that's important. Because, so that you know, is kind of the counterpart of Athena Health. Athena Health does the collection from the insurance companies, and your company does the collection from right of the that. copay from the patients. And, and, and actually, we collect right after that. You know, so and, and as you know, with the advent of high deductible plan, collecting from patients must be more and more important. So yeah, okay. uh, the number the, the number three one is um, basically a company called uh, Damian, and they have a technology that can analyze MRI from your brain, and they mm-hmm. are able to predict 10 years ahead of time whether you will develop Alzheimer's or not. Oh, wow. So they, they, they have done what we call retrospective studies by using MRIs from people like 15 years ago, right? People who turned out to have Alzheimer's. So they, they went back and mm. they put all the MRIs and they were able to establish that they could predict that patient would develop, you know, Alzheimer's with a 90% accuracy. Wow. So this is a, again, they are, they are solving a huge problem. You know, it's an incredible yeah. problem and um, it's very important for everybody. And right now, even more important because Drug development, you know, to go against Alzheimer's has hit a huge wall. As you may know, all the major drugs have failed so far for Alzheimer's. And one of the key reasons they have failed is they don't know exactly how the patients are doing while they are, you know, taking the drug, right? They don't know the progression of the disease. With Damia now, they can very every six months, they would know if the brain has progressed in the wrong direction or high stabilized. Mm-hmm. And you can do that before you have any symptom whatsoever. Interesting. So that, that's very interesting. Question. Really very interesting. Julia, I'm gonna ask you some trend questions of what's happening in the industry and how you reflect on those now, what, how you process those trends. So the first one is how do you process the current investment climate where capital is moving further and further upstream and how does a seed investor, or an entrepreneur for that matter, mitigate the Series A gap? Yeah, okay. From the point of view of a VC, you know, the fact that you have more and more investors jumping in earlier and earlier just creates a lot of noise, 
right? Uh, yes. The noise is, is on, on two aspects. Number one, um, there are a lot of investors coming in, so you see more competition, of course, you know. But, but number two, and this is maybe a bit cruel to say, there are startups out there who should not exist. <laughs> That's right. You know I mean? There are a lot of companies that are being seed funded that should not be seed funded. Completely agree with you. It's a complete disservice to everybody and to the entrepreneurs themselves. You know, yeah. it's better to be told early that, no, this is a bad idea, don't do it. But nowadays they can go and find some money here or there. They drag it all a bit. Yeah, because there's a lot of dumb investors operating in the uh, system. I, I wouldn't go that dumb. I would say that you know, if you have a, 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 a you know a, a Gaussian curve and you you know make the threshold lower, you get more and more out of the fringe, right? That that, that come in. So so that's unfortunately that that's one of the problems. But so the gap of the Series A, right? The gap of Series A has always been the same, hasn't changed at all, right? My theory is the good companies, the good entrepreneurs go and, and raise Series A, just like before, you know? So, but things look harder because you have all of these startups that shouldn't have started at all fail, and therefore the statistics of failure before Series A become really bad, right? But the good companies are still the same. Well, you know, the way I look at it is it's not so much a value judgment on good company and bad company. It's more like venture-funded company versus non-venture-funded company. The problem is that is being created is that a lot of companies that should not be venture-funded are getting seed funding and believing that they should go get try to get venture funding. And these don't have the characteristics of a venture-funded company or venture-fundable company, as in they're not huge opportunities, they're not hyper-fast growth companies, which are, you know, which are what VCs want to invest in. It's not like they're bad companies. If they operated on, the, on different assumptions that they're going to grow linearly and they're going to you know, bootstrap, they're going to build organically. They would be fine companies. They're perfectly okay companies. We are, you know, because of our mission of one million by one million, we are very big supporters of bootstrap companies because, of course, they're not going to be one. Thank God that they're not going to be one million funded companies. There shouldn't be one million funded companies. But there are still too many funded companies and businesses that should not be funded are getting funded. Yes, and, and, and one, one side issue of that, by the way, is if people spend a lot of money on seed level that shouldn't be seeded, they have less money to spend on the Series A, for example. Right? So you, mm -hmm. you, you kind of dilute the, the, the syrup too much, you know? So, yeah. The, 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 now, are there entrepreneurs that should be funded today and that were not funded until you have a lot of investors? Yes, absolutely. That, that, that's absolutely correct. And, um, but as, as in everything, you take a group of people, you know, only, you know, the top few percent, you know, really will make it, right? So um, now, coming back to your goal, which is, I, I find that very fascinating, you know, of, of having one million entrepreneurs reach one million revenues or more, the, the only way to do that is to enlarge the recruitment pool, right? Not, not yeah, and, and train people to... 
train people to understand what are the realities of the game. If you tell everybody that everybody should go raise venture financing, which is what Y Combinator is doing, which is something that I'm strongly against, you know, you, you, you're basically misleading a very large number of entrepreneurs. Not everybody should be chasing venture funding. Not, not everybody. And, and, and as you know, it takes a very unique cocktail of qualities from entrepreneurs. Right? Yes, to, be able to, go to build a hyper-growth company, absolutely. Yes, and, and I'm surprised that actually there has been no, I, I wouldn't call it psychological test, but at least just a, a, a personality test at the beginning, you know, just to see if, if you're even in that area. Yeah. It shouldn't be that hard to say, hey, if, if you're not like, uh, you know, uh, very determined. Do I have the tenacity to do this? Do I have the desire yeah. to make the sacrifices yeah. that are required yeah. to do something like yeah. this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that so switching. Yeah, go ahead. You know, that, that, that takes, you know, maybe a few days to do as a test. It's pretty simple. Yeah. You know, so. so the next uh, trend question I want to ask you is about unicorn man mania. And you have you said you have three uh, unicorns in your portfolio, so you've actually experienced, you know, uh, being a seed investor in companies that have gone on to raise very large amounts of money at very large valuations. So the question I have is, as a seed investor, you could get buried under later stage liquidation preferences in these very large deals. How do you protect yourself, and, and what are the dynamics that you see in these kinds of deals? Yeah, well, the way to protect ourselves is that we do a parada every time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so but how much rare. can you do? How I mean, you you're still a very small fund, and if you're if a company yeah. is raising a five hundred million dollar round, two hundred fifty million round, it's not easy for you to do a parada. Well, I, I would say that if we calculate, you know, uh, that the dilution that, that we get from the seat level, you know, all the way up to A, B, and C, you know. Um, it turns out that, of course, our ownership will decrease with time, right? So as, as the amount of money raised increases, our ownership decreases, and therefore the amount of dollar actually is still pretty reasonable, you know. A uh, rule of thumb that we have is that we invest 300K and we reserve $1 million for the, all the follow ones, mm-hmm. and that's enough, you know. So, 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 so far you've been able to do this with... Um... Uh, by doing the prorata, I guess the the problem sometimes come when when there is less negotiating power in the hands of the seed investors and the later stage investors are uh, you know imposing liquidation yeah. preferences. Well, one one other thing that, that that we do is that basically we continue to bring value to our companies even though even when they become big, like Wish, mm-hmm. you know, like um, you know Zoom for example. We one special that we have that we're not just passive investors, and of course everybody says that, right? <laughs> no, but what we <laughs> yeah. do is that we actually bring customers, and especially from the major Japanese companies with whom we have very very tight relations. Okay. So we we help our companies. That's differentiated. Whole growth. Yes. Well, they, they sign contract, they get revenues. You know, um, we are actually helping one of our companies right now do a big deal with SoftBank. Okay, on the mm-hmm. cell phone side and on the enterprise yeah. side. So even though they are big, so they, they, they you know they say okay, you know we, we kind of earn our keep, quote unquote. <laughs> you know we we becoming usually become like friends of the firm, from friends of the company, right? So yeah. they, they they tend to to treat us well because we treat them well. So you know, it's mm-hmm. just a kind of mutual respect. 
Now, to come back to your first point on what do we think about unicorn mania, we actually love it. Actually, this is one of the ways that we found to find an exit. Yes, you this know? is actually a good point. Like a lot of seed investors will probably do better to exit this instead of trying to yeah. go on into these yeah. later rounds. I, I, that's my yeah. conclusion. And as I think about it, that's my conclusion is that that's some it. of these pre-seed and seed investors should not go on. They should just exit. They, we, we, we know when, when to exit. You know, the, 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 the most important part of investing is to know when to exit. When to exit. That, I agree. That, yeah. that is so crucial, so incredibly important because, you know, you have a company that runs up $4 billion valuation. You say, oh, my God, they're going to go IPO. It's going to be $10 billion, you know. Why you want to sell now? We say no, 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 no. We made enough. Yes. <laughs> I mean, kind of funny X kind of enough. <laughs> Let's stop now. Okay. Yes. So, so uh, last so question, like Julian. I'm sorry. I have a last question still. Yes. Another trend question. So we are in 2017, and lots of stuff had already been built, and. Uh, and nowadays, there aren't as many wide open opportunities to build these very large companies. But there are many niche opportunities. And I'm, I'm sure all over digital health, there are numerous niche opportunities. And in some cases, my observation is some of these businesses need to be built for small amounts of capital, maybe one or two million dollars and sold for 10, 15 million. Maybe in some cases, uh, invest to 5,500K and sell for 5, 10 million. There are lots of these kinds of opportunities out there. Do you have appetite for these kinds of deals? I have to say no. Okay. No. And 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 and, and the reason for that is, um, you you never know how how big the company will grow, right? So you might as well spend the time solving a problem worth solving. So number one, number two is, my worry is you aim for a small exit. If reality is always like, you know, 10% of your dream, you will end up with tiny, tiny exit. <laughs> so. Well, I'll push back on what you said about problem worth solving. And let's take the example of the entire electronic design automation industry, for example. You know, yeah. EDA, if you look at the total available market, yeah. is actually a relatively small industry. It's a few billion dollars. It's not yeah. compared to the semiconductor industry. EDA is a very small industry, but it's a problem that absolutely has to be solved because otherwise there would be no semiconductors. Oh, oh absolutely. But, but, but it doesn't have to be solved by startups, right? So, so I agree with you that they are... Well, today they don't have to be solved by startups. At one time, these were startups who ended up um, solving these problems. And, it, it, and there are a lot of like, you know, slivers of point problems that kind of got... Uh, stitched up, like Cadence, for instance, was built by, I think, uh, stitching together 27 acquisitions, stuff like that. Uh, absolutely. And, 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 and the time, because we invested in EDA ourselves as well, you know, uh, like years ago, uh, the mm -hmm. time to invest was some time ago, but not now. Yes, this is true. This is true. Timing-wise, so, 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 the EDA boat has sailed. Exactly. So, so it's just a question of timing. And, um, but, but to come back to your point, we're not saying that it's wrong to invest in smaller opportunities. It's just not something that we, we like to do. That's all. You know? yeah. yeah, that so, was my question. And, and, and we're, you know, as we're talking to 
various investors, some do have appetite and some don't, and you're just saying that you don't have appetite for this, and that's a perfectly fine answer. Yeah. Anything you want to add before we close? Sramana, I, I, I think that you got uh, one of the best questions ever asked of a VC, so uh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you. I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. I'm sure to see you very soon, Sramana. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.